Good morning. Man, that video was so amazing. I, I love hearing Leon talk about the work and you just like see his excitement for it, which then just kind of in turn um, makes us excited to be a part of what God is doing all over the world, um, not just here in Cincinnati, but all over the world. So very exciting stuff. Uh, there's a word that we made up um, at the very beginning of this series about seven or eight weeks ago, and the word is one anothering, one anothering. All right, and what we, what we meant by that word, one anothering, is it's referring to how you and I are interacting with one another, those inside the church, those fellow believers, and those who are not inside the church, those who, who don't know Jesus, all right? How are you interacting with and treating one another? That, that's been, the, that's been the, the, the question this series. Are you growing to be more loving? Are you serving one another with, with a renewed passion to serve one another? Are you honoring others above yourselves? Have you grown, have you and I grown to be more compassionate, more forgiving? Like, how are you doing with that? Over the last eight weeks, we've been challenging um, each other with these one another challenge cards that have been in baskets on the back tables here. And every week we say, take one and then do whatever that is. And so, and so more than a thousand cards have been taken over the last eight weeks. More than a thousand cards of people taking on the challenge to say, I'm going to step outside of myself and one another better. You know, when, I, when we read from John chapter 13, which we've kind of alluded to and we read, actually read the very first week of the series, it's, 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 the, it's the point where Jesus gets down and washes his disciples' feet. It's a, it's a menial job for the lowest slave in the house and Jesus puts a towel around his waist, gets down on his hands and knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And after he's done, he says something very specific, very pointed to them. Jesus doesn't always speak so directly all the time, but here he does. He says, what I've just done for you by serving you in this way, I have set an example that you should do for one another what I have done for you. So how are you doing with that? If you do them, he says, if you do this, if you treat one another this way, if you want another well, he says that you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. That's what he says. In fact, it's in verse, uh, let's see, it's in verse 17. Now that you know these things, he says, you will be blessed if you do them. What does that mean? So, so it's not that how you and I want another isn't, it, that doesn't save us. It doesn't say that you will be saved depending on how you do this. He doesn't say, and now that now you, depending on how you do this, is whether or not you'll be able to pay God back for all that he's done for you, so you should work harder. He doesn't say that, you know what, it doesn't actually really matter whether you want another well or not. He says that you will be blessed, you and I will be blessed if we do this. You and I will be rewarded for how you and I have responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Today, I want to share with you what that blessing or elements of that blessing manifested in your life can look like. 
as we wrap up our series today, we're going to talk about instructing one another. One of those, one another's in the Bible was to instruct one another. And here's our big idea, okay? We are all equipped. We are all equipped to tell others about Jesus. We're all equipped to tell others about Jesus. Now, the word instruct can be a little bit, um, there's a little bit of pressure there, isn't it? Instruct, you feel like, okay, so now I've got to like, teach someone how to do something, all right? In fact, the, the Latin word for instruct really does mean to, to build. To build. You see the word like construct or structure in that word. It means to build or to pass along knowledge, okay? Now, you and I pass along knowledge and instruct all the time, okay? The, the truth is, you actually are an instructor, every single one of us. So, so when you go to work tomorrow, depending on what it is, you're, whether you're interacting with coworkers or employees or customers, you will do your share of instructing just in how you do your job. If you're a parent or a grandparent, all right, what you say, what you do, what you value is instructing, it's passing along knowledge to someone. All right, you and you're in our friendships every day. We share opinions, we give advice uh, to people in, in relationship advice, or or we have almost no problem sharing our thoughts, opinions, or our knowledge on social media. You're instructors, we all are. We do that. All right, I don't care who you are or what you do for eight hours a day, you and I instruct. We pass along knowledge to people all the time, okay? The other day, I was um, out to lunch with my three kids, and one of my kids um, ended up inadvertently, so he says, um, spitting out a mouthful of Dr. Pepper into the face of, the, uh, of another one of my kids, all right? So this is what happens when I take my kids out to eat. This is why we never go out in public, all right? And I was reminded of that the other day. All right. So needless to say, the, um, the, 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 the recipient of said Dr. Pepper all over the face was, was unhappy with how that went. And so I, as a parent, in this moment, got a chance to instruct, right? All right? We're in public, all right? Tension is high. Somebody wants to kill someone else. And I'm instructing at that time, here's where, how we are, are going to react to this situation right now, all right? If you choose not to react to the situation that way, there will be consequences for how you act. And so as a parent, I had, for my three teenage kids, who I'll never be taking out to lunch again, um, got a chance to instruct. I got a chance to instruct on what, not, what, to, what to do and what not to do. You see, you and I have, we all have it. I don't care how old you are or what phase of life you're in. You, we all have this raw ability, this raw talent in us to pass along to someone else some knowledge that we have. It's just this talent, this thing that our Heavenly Father, this gift that he gave us. And what if your Heavenly Father gave you that for a reason, and you've not been exercising it fully. But you have the opportunity to maximize it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When Paul wrote his letter to the Christians in Rome, if you read the, the book of Romans, it, it's full. It's full of a ton of stuff, all right? It's like Paul's love letter. Of, like, he's writing from God's heart to the Christians who are in Rome. 
And, and, and he has to do some basic instructing on correcting the church's behavior because like all things that are new, it needs to make sure that it's, it's grounded and it's heading down the right path. And so Paul will do that in Romans. You'll also pick up in Romans, now that we've been talking about this for eight weeks, there's a lot of one another language in Romans. But we're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 15, all right? I encourage you to, to go there with me, and, and really, you can just kind of have that open because we'll re- reference back to it. We have Bibles at the hub out here in the lobby. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to just put one in your hands, but right out here, you can grab one on your way out. But go with me to Romans 15, starting with verse 14. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul there is talking about his passion for the work God gave him to not only share the message of Jesus with Jewish people, but also the, the, the non-Jews, all right? Paul said that, that so that all of us could come to know Jesus together and be lifted up to him, all right? Listen, verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. Did you get that? I got that from, I, I sensed that from Leon on that video, didn't you? I just glory for my service, I, I glory in Christ Jesus for my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. He says, there's power at work, Paul says. There's power at work in me that is giving me the ability to do the things I'm doing. And then look at verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way. Now, okay, so I meant to practice how to say this word, and I forgot to practice how to say that word. So give me a second. Illyricum, yeah, Illyricum, thank you. God bless you, yeah. Exactly. I told myself as soon as I put that, I'm like, man, I got to make sure I say that so I don't sound like an idiot when I'm reading it. And then I'm coming to it. I'm like, oh man, Illyricum. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ all over Europe, all right, all over Asia Minor. Asia, Asia Minor is what Paul is saying. Listen, listen, I love this passage. It's so full of one another, even though there's only one instruct one another, you're going to see how full and rich this is here in just a moment. All right. The word that Paul uses, instruct, that sounds really weighty to you. You're like, I don't know. I'm not a teacher. I don't say, listen, listen. It, what it means in the Greek there is to admonish or to give counsel. All right. To give counsel, to pass along knowledge is what it means in the Latin. In Greek, it's to give counsel. Paul says that he sees in the Christians in Rome something that he's confident they have. It's an ability to instruct one another. It's an ability to instruct one another. And what? And then he says it in verse 16, to proclaim the good news of God. You have that. If you were a follower of Jesus, and I realize not everybody may be, but if you are, you have that. We are all equipped to tell others about Jesus. 
You know, after leading in my 20 years that I've got to, that God has allowed me to just to be in pastoral ministry, I have led dozens and dozens of small groups with teenagers, with adults. And it seems like inevitably what comes up in the number one fear of almost every Christian that I've ever spent time with in, in life groups together, do you know what the number one fear is that almost no one feels equipped to do? It's to share with other people about Jesus. Number one, for sure. And I, and, I, and I get that. I get that. There's a guy that I see at a gym that I go to in Hamilton. I saw him once at White Oak at the Ross campus. And I just have, I, I saw him there. I didn't talk to him, but I saw him. And then at the gym, I'm like, I know that guy. I think he was at church once. I've been trying to build up the nerve for like three months to go and introduce myself to him. I think it's the only time he's only been to church once. But I'm like, well, I have an in. I can say, hey, didn't I see you at White Oak Christian Church one time, you know, and I'm building up the nerve to just start to go and have the conversation then to kind of just in, inject Jesus into a conversation. I haven't done it yet. So I get that it's hard. I'm with you on that one. But I want you to listen that our Heavenly Father anticipated this, this weirdness that we feel when it comes to giving counsel or passing on knowledge or sharing about Jesus with someone else. I want, to, I want to help you to see what we see from, from Paul here in Romans. We're equipped to do this in three ways. I'm going to share them with you here. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can here, but also meaningfully, all right? That we are filled with goodness, we are filled with knowledge, and we're filled with power, all right? So let's talk about the first thing first. It's filled with goodness. Paul was hearing about these believers and Christians, and he says, I am confident that you're full of goodness, you're full of goodness. Now, understand something about Rome in the first century when Paul's writing to them, all right? First century Christians in this time didn't spend a lot of time just sharing about Jesus with their friends and neighbors, because they didn't. It wasn't safe to. In fact, one book I was reading about the first century church and even into the second century was that often when the church would gather in people's homes, they would actually post a guard outside, okay, who would have to vet people as they were entering, question them a little bit to be sure that it wasn't somebody posing that would then reveal the church's location and its activities to the government, so the church in the first century had to be very careful how it practiced faith. And yet, the church in the first century exploded in Rome and in the cities where Christians inhabited. Why? How? How did it happen? They weren't, there, were no, there were no conferences. There were no church buildings. There were no books. There were no podcasts. There was no street evangelism. How did the church and the message of Jesus explode in the first century? Well, I'll tell you. Because the Christians had, be, had been regenerated by Jesus. They had found new life. And so, for example, when, when women would be gathered together with other women in the marketplace or in the homes, they would, they, the Christian women would speak very respectfully about their husbands. When gossip was abounding, Christian women found opportunities to talk about care and, and respect and love. It was unheard of, but, but in a very patriarchal society where women were, were, were oppressed and they were very low-class citizens in their home, Christian men began to treat their wives with care and respect and elevate the, their children and their wives and even the slaves in their household to elevate them and, and care for them. And, and, and people noticed this. 
People notice this. Christians in the marketplace in Rome did, did business justly and fairly. They didn't, they didn't try to cheat. They didn't cook the books. They were fair, they were right, and they were good businessmen and women. Christians in the first century cared for the poor. And they were generous to the poor. And people noticed. Their neighbors noticed. In fact, when other Christian societies, I'm sorry, when other Roman societies would meet, the wealthy upper class men only would meet in what, the, what Rome called societies, all right? And, and they would meet and they would pay dues into that society, be part of that club. They would, take, they would eat fancy meals together and, and, and you, were, you were in a club, all right? But not so with the church. The church invited women to be a part of it, the poor, the outcast and the marginalized, as, lo- as well as the wealthy, all coming together in, under one roof. And White Oak, listen, people noticed it. And we tend to sometimes now in our culture weaponize these actions to say, well, this, th- th- I-, I do this and that. And so I'm actually, that kind of makes me better than you. It, it, sometimes we can weaponize these actions and the things that we do, these good things that we do, and say that just kind of proves that I'm better and it gives us a platform to judge others. We can, we can do that or we can tend to ignore the poor. We can ignore the marginalized. We can ignore that the church was born out of a culture of one anothering. And in so doing, we disprove the faith that we claim that we have. We can lean on our good actions. Ah, oh, hear this. We can have a tendency to, to, to use our good actions as, as proof to God that we really are worthy, that it saves us. See, the church exploded in the first century in its growth and its reach, not because everybody was just talking about Jesus everywhere they went. It's because their hearts had been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it caused goodness to flow out of them toward their neighbors. That gave them the ability, even without words, to instruct their neighbors in the heart of who Jesus was. They one anothered well. And the church blew up in Rome. Paul says that you were, he was confident, he told the Romans, that they're full of goodness. He had heard about the Christians in Rome. What do you think people hear about the Christians at White Oak? in Colerain Township or Ross Township or Cincinnati, what would people hear if they were to write a book about us? Paul says, but I also see, and I'm confident in it, that you've been filled with knowledge. So filled with goodness is is something that, that flows from God's heart into ours. Then filled with knowledge. You're filled with knowledge. Filled with knowledge to be competent enough to instruct others. Do you feel competent enough to counsel others in the ways of Jesus? Do you? Ephesians chapter one, 
which is something else that Paul wrote. Let me read for you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Church, knowledge matters. The Christian faith is not just a faith of what you feel in your heart or in your soul. Over and again, Paul tells us that the Christian faith is a cerebral thing, that your mind needs renewed with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge is key. And it takes a work of God in your life and to, to expand your mind in the things of Jesus. Knowledge matters. What you know matters. I'm always amazed at stories like um, the, the, the famous philosopher, author, I guess, educator, C.S. Lewis the, of, of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, books, for, uh, if, you, if you know those. He was an atheist, a brilliant man, probably a genius, actually. And he came to know Jesus through, through, through a searching of knowledge. I'm reminded of the Chicago Tribune uh, Author, I'm sorry, columnist uh, Lee Strobel, if you're familiar with that name, atheist, set out to disprove Christianity. And in, in so doing, and so reading and interviewing and meeting Christians and studying the history, he became a Christian himself. See, Jesus doesn't make practical sense, does he? Why should I get grace for nothing? No religion works that way. Jesus doesn't make practical sense, but he does make logical sense. He does make logical sense because I've tried everything else on my own. Have you, you, we as a human race, we try sex and education and money and power, relationships, and it always just leaves you wanting, except for Jesus. Jesus makes logical sense. You see, we've weaponized knowledge. And unfortunately, the church is too often known as the ones who say, well, we know what's right and all of you all are wrong. And our culture here, it gets that message. Or we've prioritized knowledge and set it up on a, set it up on a pillar that it should never have been set up on. And we say, well, I mean, I know plenty of people who study the Bible, but have their hearts been regenerated by the power of Jesus in them? Sometimes we've allowed knowledge because we put it on such a pedestal. We've allowed knowledge to actually be, be our fear. Well, because I don't know enough, I, don't really, I can't really serve or do that. Well, I don't really know. What if, what if they ask questions? What if this guy at the gym asks a question, asks me how to pronounce Illyricum, and I can't do it, right? What do I do? What do I do? And so, we, so because we think we have to know so much, it actually kind of becomes an excuse for us to not do anything at all. 
I don't have all the information. I don't even know what I believe myself. How am I supposed to instruct someone, right? Because we put knowledge too far up on a pedestal or we've leaned on knowledge to be our savior. I can quote how many verses? I know the answers to so much Bible trivia. And suddenly knowledge can become our savior. You know, Karl Marx was famous, the, the, the communist leader, for saying that religion is the opiate of the masses. He's kind of famous for having said that, um, which is true. But the knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ working in your life brings you, li- brings you alive. It's no drug. It's no depressant. See, the spirit of the living God has regenerated your life and mine. Amen? It's brought you new life. And you don't know everything. And the Christians in Rome didn't know everything. It was a new church, new Christians. Paul had not even met them yet. They hadn't even met Paul. But they knew enough about the spirit of Jesus regenerating their lives and bringing new life to them. What they did know was that they were saved. And they knew enough to be able to counsel and share that with other people. And because you know, you and I are responsible for what it is that we do know. And what are you doing with the knowledge that God has given you? Paul says knowledge of what Jesus has done in you, it, it fuels goodness, and it obviously did to the first century Christians. And that's like a very potent, potent formula for you and I to be able to give counsel and pass on knowledge and to instruct one another. Knowledge fueled with, fuels goodness, which gives you what you need to instruct. But there's one more thing. Paul points out, they've also been filled with power. The church in Rome had been filled with power. Paul was convinced that they could do it, that they could instruct one another because there was a power inside them that didn't come from them. He says this in verse 19. Look, he says, through the power of the spirit of God. He actually says that in about three different ways. Through the power of the spirit of God, they had been equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with their neighbors. Do you believe today that you have been as well? Listen, I think for many of us, we don't, we, we, we don't feel like we can instruct because we, we look at our lives and we say, well, who am I? I'm broken. I don't even know what I fully believe or I've messed up too many times or, or I'm, so, I'm so focused on, on learning and knowing the right things that it's almost numbed you to be able to pass it along to someone else. And here's the truth. Jesus is the hero of your story. All the goodness, all the knowledge, all the power that's been poured into your life, it's him. It's not about you at all. See, your goodness, your best day, your your most loving act of service you could do for one another, it's like filthy rags. Jesus was perfect. 
and they threw stones at him to kill him. All of your knowledge, your best wisdom, the Bible says is foolishness. Now Jesus wrote the book, he knew it. This was his word. And they called him a liar and a demon worshiper. So what do you think your knowledge is? Your goodness is is filthy rags. Your, Your wisdom and your knowledge is foolishness. You have no power to change anything about your life or to instruct anyone about anything. But he had all the power. He had the power to to raise dead people back to life and they nailed him to a cross. See, this story is about Jesus. What Paul sees in the Roman Christians is not them, he sees Christ working in them. And the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do the same thing, goodness. Not that the Roman Christians were doing anything good on their own. But the Christians' actions in Rome turned that city on its head. The goodness of God made that happen. Knowledge. Paul says, I'm confident that you have it, but you didn't study it. You didn't go to a university to learn it. The Holy Spirit is giving it to you. And I'm telling you what, in just a few short years after Paul would write this letter, the Christians in Rome didn't have to hide and put guards at the door forever. That became a very vocal movement that then actually started spreading out of actions and deed and words. And there's a power in you, church, White Oak Christian Church. There's a power in you. And when the Roman Christians got this letter, they knew who had power. It was Caesar emperor himself. He had the power. The wealthy had the power. The rich people had the power, but they didn't have power. Oh, but the spirit of God infused his church. And they had power to change their city. So here's what I want to ask you to do as we wrap up this series. If you have never submitted your life to Jesus and received his power of his spirit and the grace to wash over you, and you've never done that through baptism, then when we're done here, I'll be up here, there'll be a couple others, come talk to us or send us an email this week. We would love to talk to you about submitting your life to the power of your heavenly father who loves you like crazy. I wanna ask you today as we wrap up this series, One Another, Would you, would all of us, commit this year that we are serious about one anothering? Will you decide to take a risk to step out and serve and love with generosity and compassion and forgiveness and honor like you never have before? I think, White Oak, that in this year, we can see a movement of Jesus happen in this place and in our city. There's enough of us that if we one another through the power of the Spirit working in us and we do it well, that we can change Coleraine Township and we can change Cincinnati. We've been activated to do it. You've been given everything you need. We are all equipped to tell others about Jesus. Pray with me, Father God. thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your goodness that overshadows anything of mine. God, I thank you for your wisdom. 
that is so much greater than anything I could think. I thank you for your power. That reminds me that I have none without you. And God, I thank you for your grace, your love and your mercy that we receive through Jesus Christ. Father, may that knowledge that we are loved, that we are yours, that we're in your family, may it fuel us, Father, to be about the things that you would have us be about, Father. Empower your people, your church here at White Oak. We're yours, your sons and daughters, and we're ready to move. I love you. Amen.